This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 41st edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today as my special guest, I have Mike the Gasman Gastineau. Mike was on this show back in January 2018 on the 14th edition. I got you back almost a year later. Are we going to call this the Mike Gastineau Stay the Union so, or something? So, so there's 27 other shows before my second. Were there a lot of good guests? <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I knew were there, you were going to go there. there. Were there more important people? I knew you were going to go there. The fact you came back a second time is an honor. And the fact you came back, the, the fact you came the first time was, was a gutsy move on my part. You didn't invite I, you and you said yes. I never left. I've been walking <laughs> around the hallways out here trying to find the exits. I've just been wandering around. This Paul Schneiderman guy, you could have said no the first time. You're back a second time. So this is this is like a self-esteem issue for both of us. It's <laughs> weird. It, it's a year ago, almost to the day, right? because I'm going to the same place after this. The Washington Athletic Club every year plays host to a, a thing they call the main event. It is a two-night college boxing tournament. It's the largest college boxing tournament in the country. And there's boxers from... About a dozen different schools. Washington has a terrific boxing club, Navy, Air Force, Army. Those people obviously know how to fight. Uh, Cal always has a good team. Uh, it's men and women. What an underrated event. It's a really terrific event. And I remember a year ago being here and going, i got to get done with this and get down there. And we're, we're getting ready to go. And now here I am again today. So I love it. So it's like the, the last Friday in January every year. I will build around you. Well, as long as these guys keep, maybe we'll try to do the last part of it generally. Well, yeah, let's, let's not plan that. anything for next year yet. Because right, we don't know if you'll be here. Fair enough. Well, before I go any <laughs> further, I, I have Daniel Bellis today as my engineer. Daniel's also the host of Fresh Juice at Rainier Avenue Radio. I want to mention we have a lot of good stuff going on at the station. Uh, we're based in Seattle, the World Wide Web, RainierAvenueRadio.world. We have in our sports department, we have Rick Dupree's great show, one-on-one with Dupe. I think you know uh, Rick, Mike. Dupe, yeah. my, my first partner ever in Seattle. I, I think I knew that. Granville Emerson, Renault Laurent, also known as Pepe, are the co-hosts of Lidline Sports. Mazita, Mazvita Marari is the host of Seattle Sports Weekly. I know Maz. You know Maz, too. Pat McCarthy and Mazvita Marari co-host a uh, show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. Mark Bryant has a fitness Base show, Fitness Corner. So I just uh, want to throw a little plug for a couple of my Rainier Avenue colleagues, including uh, my producer or my engineer here, Daniel Bellis, and uh, Mike Gasno. I'm not going to give you as long introduction as last time, but uh, you've been a freelance writer, author, broadcaster, communications consultant, longtime host, Seattle's KJR Radio. Mike's the author of several good books. Uh, his new one is a terrific book called Mr. Towns and the Polish Prince, an American Story of Race, Redemption, and Football, a true story about a white Coach, I'm going to try pronouncing Joe's last name, Przicki? Przicki, yeah, just like it looks, yeah. Got you. Got hired in the early 80s to be the head coach at a historically black college, Delaware State University. Just a, a really interesting book. And uh, Mike, just thanks so much for coming back on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Well, it, it's great to be here, Paul. I, I, we were talking outside. I'm keeping, you know, keeping broadcasting going and keeping shows like this going. It takes a lot of work. And you're to be commended that this has been around now for a while and it's a regular thing. You've had some great people on and it's uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to do this if you've got other things you're trying to do in your life and you, you do a you do a good uh, service to the community by doing this. Well, it's very kind. I'm learning the ropes and learning something every day and it has been a fun run. It's it's a guy who always likes sports. It's fun uh, kind of at middle age to, 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 to try something different a little bit. Well, Mike, so, so you're, right now I know you still host some shows at KGR. Are you kind of like the retired school teacher who comes back and subs? Is that kind of your arrangement with KGR these days? You know, it's, it's funny, and I, I used to see guys say this, and I never quite understood why they were so militant about it. I never retired. You know, when I walked away, I, I stepped away. I wanted to do different things. But people hear that word, and they go, you're not working anymore. It's like, no, no, there was, that was never the plan. The plan was right. to do a lot of other things. Um, 
And one of the things that I planned to do when I left KJR, we talked about this. The week I left, I said, look, I'd love to be a fill-in guy. I don't, I don't, I didn't, I would, by no means was I tired of radio and I love KJR. I just was tired of it every single day. And I was at a point in my life at the time, I was 52, like, I want to see if I can do some other things. So we talked about me being a fill-in guy. And then for a variety of reasons, it just didn't happen for a long time. And then finally... Uh, I did a show here and a show there, but finally last spring, you know, they had that interesting deal where they had gotten Cliff Averill signed to join the air staff with Jason Puckett. Fun show. But for a while, they couldn't announce that. So they needed someone to sit in there and, and, and be on there with Puck. So I did a 90-day a run, and I had fun. And uh, afterwards, we said, look, why don't, you know, why don't I come in once in a while when guys are on vacation or a guy gets sick or you, know, you need an extra voice? And uh, it's been fun. It, it's nice. It's, I, was, I was saying to you, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't know, I don't have kids, so I don't know what this is like, but I equate it to like being a grandparent. I can come in, I can have fun, I can goof around, and then anytime anything gets serious, I'm like, okay, gotta go. Go ahead, go out the door. Time right, to leave. Right. Well, it's fun, it's fun for you, the, the listeners in our community, people can still, or on the World Wide Web, can hear you, but you don't have to do it every day. I think right. it sounds like it's a good arrangement for you. So. Right, and I, and I don't want to fall into the, oh, so much pressure to have to do it every day. You know, there's, there's people with really pressure-filled jobs. But I'd done it for a long time, and I had burned out a little bit on it. Taking some time away and now just doing it every once in a while, it's amazing how much more of a spark you have. The people that are doing it every day, that is a skill and a talent, and I had that skill for a long time. But it's it's not easy, and it, it, it takes a lot of work to do it every single day. Well, we enjoy hearing you on a periodic uh, basis. So speaking of broadcasting, Mike, Charles Barkley once said that he's not a role model as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Do you think that sports broadcasters, talk show hosts, and sports journalists are role models? I, I guess maybe to some young person who wants to get into broadcasting. But beyond that, I, wouldn't, you know, I, don't, I don't think that. I'm not even sure what a role model is. You know, and I, it's funny, I never did my show... You know, we, we would talk about things sometimes, and I would use language even even on public airways sometimes that people say, well, you know, there's kids listening. I go, look, I'm happy if there's kids listening, but I'm doing this show to get ratings among the, you know, 25 to 54 set. That's where you're trying to pound in ratings. And so I can't hold back on a topic or hold back on anger or hold back on a funny joke if I think, oh, there's kids listening and it might affect, you know, if you want your kids to listen, that's fine. But we're all adults here, and so I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that I would consider a sports broadcaster a role model. This is more of a philosophical follow-up. I'm not going to ask about any specific mm-hmm. cases, but if a, a sports radio man or woman makes a type of mistake, are you? They're, since they're not role models, what's the big deal in a way? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate with the question, but how? how in, in a mis- you know, like, like a, a, a big mistake, like a mistake in in life, or a mistake. Yeah, what if a sports radio or, guy gets a DUI or something? I mean, where, where do you draw the line on what what, um, what it becomes? A, a th- there's a couple of things that come into to mind. It, it, it certainly uh, depends on how your contract is written. Some contracts might be written that that's cause for immediate termination. Others might be written that no, you know, you, you get a chance. You maybe you have to go to rehab, or maybe you know, maybe that's your one chance. If this ever happens again, you're terminated. Right, right. Uh, so I, I would look at it that way, and, and then it depends on the the host's relationship with the people who run the station. There, there, you know, there's the, the remember the is I don't know if it's Casino or Goodfellas where Pesci say this guy <laughs> is was just begging to be made an example of. Well, there are. You know, it's the same thing in, in life where there's times where you can screw up and you've been a pretty good person, you've treated everybody good, and they're like, all right, we're going to give you a second chance. 
And there's times where you get screw up and you haven't treated people good and along the way. Maybe you've made a lot of enemies and they're not going to give you a second chance. Every, every, you know, every, case by case. Right. Everything like that Fair is, is, is different. I'm, in, the, in, in For the most part, in every case, I guess you can't say error, but in most every case, I'd be in favor of second chances and second opportunities. Likewise. None of us are perfect. Likewise. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Mike the Gasman Gasno. I actually wanted to hit that topic when I had you on last year, and we didn't get to it. So this was a question I had, a topic I had for you last year, and I appreciate your feedback on mm-hmm. the question whether sports radio hosts are role models. I think you gave an interesting answer. Gas, you love hypotheticals in sports. That's one of your, and I do too. We have that in common. And I want to ask you a Mariners hypothetical. All right. Do you think Jerry DePoto and the Mariners would have broken up the roster as much as they have if the Mariners were able to at least make it in the one-game wild-card playoff game last year? I doubt it. I mean, I, I'm not sure DePoto can help himself, and I don't mean that to sound as negative as it does, but, I mean, he loves to move and tinker and do things, so they'd have done some stuff. But, look, if they make the playoffs last year, then the, the drought is over, and you're trying to build on that, I would think, for the following year. Now, now that supposition would then mean that, you know, they didn't go into the, the nosedive that they went in in the second half of the season, so guys would have had better years, so there would be less reason to do that. Uh, you know, the, the, the fascinating thing, if they made the playoffs last year, what would they have done with Nelson Cruz? Would they have tried to keep him? You, you know, he's at a, an interesting stage in his career. I don't think he's done yet, but, I mean, I, I'm, for them right now, it made no sense keeping him based on what they're trying to do. Um, I think you'd see the team would have looked a little bit more. I mean, you wouldn't have gotten rid of Paxton, I don't think. I don't think you'd gotten rid of Diaz. Maybe not Cano either. Maybe not Cano. Cano's another story altogether. You know, you could you could you could argue whether that's addition by sure. subtraction after what he went through and after what he put you through. Um, but yeah, you, you probably wouldn't have made the big number of changes because you'd be looking to build. It wouldn't make sense, right? Hey, we made the playoffs. Let's get rid of everybody. It's interesting in sports what a very small margin can do to what a team does. That's a fascinating part of sports. It's uh, I forget what the exact number is, but we figure out what that, in baseball especially. It's, it's one hit a week is like the difference between a two hundred and a three hundred hitter. Right, a guy having his worst season all time versus a guy having an all star caliber season, and a batting average in the, the the stat that people use as much anymore. But it's one hit a week. You know the other thing with baseball I always laugh about is if you go five and four every nine games, five and four that doesn't sound very sexy. You win ninety games. You go ninety and seventy-two if you go five and four every nine games all season. So it uh, baseball, the margin, and it's thin in all sports. You're right. You you know luck, uh, officiating, um, injury, uh, bad communication. You, you know that especially at the pro level, there is such a small line between the worst team in any league and the best team in any league. And it's there's a lot that plays into where those two fall. Well, an interesting answer. Anyhow, I was just thinking about that, that would the Mariners, would the changes have been a big if they got that one game wild card playing game? But anyhow, uh, real quickly, guys, on the Seahawks, big discussion going on about whether the Seahawks should give Russell Wilson a long-term deal. I guess they're looking at approximately $35 million a year. Of course, a salary cap kind of dictates mm-hmm. what teams can do. Okay, guys, so I got something for you. And I'm not saying this is my position. I'm going to ask you the question. So instead of giving Russell a huge mega deal, what if the Hawks use that money to get six or seven or eight really good position players 
and maybe picked up a quarterback who wasn't Russell, but capable. Because there are average quarterbacks who've taken teams to Super Bowls. Rex, Rex Grossman is one. So I'm kind of playing devil's advocate when I ask the question, but is there any case to be made to not give Russell the mega deal? Not, not in my mind. Okay. I see okay. your point, but no, I disagree. I, I think getting a quarterback that's this elite, a quarterback that has done nothing more or less since 2012, when he got, then give you a chance to win every single game you've been in. If you think about that, I mean, he's given them a chance. I mean, they've gotten blown out. I'm, I'm, don't take it too literally. But my point is, you go into the game, you think, all right, we got a chance in this game because of the quarterback. If everything else goes wrong, and I mean, granted, he had a spectacular defense for a while, and now it looks like they've built that again. He's had other good skill players around him. I I just think you, you, you win with talent in this league, and... To your point, there are guys that have made the Super Bowl that you know without maybe that superstar pedigree. But this guy has done nothing but be successful for you. So I would pay him, and I know there's all this. Well, when you tie up that much money, and you know, I, I don't care. I've got. I just checked. I've got thirty three dollars in my wallet. I will mail it to the Seahawks if they need it. Keep this guy. He's he's right in the middle of his career. He's right in the middle of what looks like a Hall of Fame career. Let's do it. Maybe they take the thirty-three dollars. You never know. They might. They might. They, they might. I mean, if they need, look, if they need it, they Mike, can I tend to agree with you, and I don't claim to be a John Schneider GM. You know, I'm a casual fan, but I tend to agree with you. They should re-sign a Russell Mega deal. But, but there's an interesting other option, and, and I like your. You gave some feedback on that. Paul Schneiderman hosts sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Mike the Gasman Gaston. Real quickly, Gas, you wrote a book on on the Sounders. You know that MLS and the mm-hmm. franchise really will. Can you share with us a nugget or two about the late Siggy Schmidt and what he did for the Sounders franchise and his long-term influence in the franchise? What, what Ziggy did, he's just a terrific person, a terrific soccer mind. He arrived in 2009, and he was one of the top coaches in America, no doubt. And he came in with the championship pedigree. And he, you know, coaches have a tendency to be arrogant when they've had success like that. And Ziggy could have come in here and, you know, soccer, there was a huge soccer community here, but there was a lot of people that didn't know soccer all that well. There were a lot of people in the media that didn't know soccer all that well. And Ziggy could have chosen to kind of lord that out, you know, I know what's going on. That's not a smart question. He could have been that way. Instead, if you had time to ask Ziggy a question, whether it was a really smart soccer question or a really dumb soccer question, he had time to answer it to you. And if it was dumb, he would explain to you, hey, well, here, you're not, you know, here's what you need to be thinking about. And I, I just think that that... Pretty down-to-earth guy, then. Yeah, that ability to connect the sport to the community. You know, soccer at times has a reputation for being a little, a little uh, you know, kind of insular, that, that, that you know, the people that are into it don't necessarily want to share with someone who might not know as much. Oh, you just don't understand. You know, all the arguments you hear with people who love soccer and people who hate soccer. Ziggy saw the sport for what it was, a terrific, fantastic game, a game that he made his living on over the years. But he also saw the quirks in it and the things that you could make fun of in it. You know, he once told me that uh, that he thought most soccer fights were handbags at 10 paces. <laughs> Which I thought was just a great description. Most sports fights are like that too. Yeah, that's the last time you really saw guys throwing haymakers in a sports fight. Um, he was terrific in establishing this franchise, a franchise that now will enter what is it? It's eleventh year, and it's made the playoffs every single season. It's, it's ridiculous what they've done in, in in a good way, and he's a big part of it. And it's it's an example of sports being unfair. 
that he didn't win a championship while he was here. And all, all credit to Schmetz. You know, Ziggy got bounced out. Brian came in. He gets the credit. But Schmetz was even there because of Ziggy. You know, Brian Schmetzer was the head coach of the team. They go to MLS, and now we're going to take Ziggy. And Ziggy's first thing is, I want to hire Schmetz as my number one assistant. And Schmetz, being a smart guy, said, I'm going to do that. It, funny how life works that it way. It is like, funny. You know, Brian had every reason to go, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. You guys had me for all these years. I had great success. In, in, in the minor leagues. You don't want me now. I'm going to go do something else. And instead, he chose to stay with Ziggy. And uh, I, I, I think I think uh, it's what Ziggy did is uh, he really helped put this team on the map. Well, great insights in the late Coach Schmidt. And I, I certainly learned something. I think the listeners did as well. Real quickly, Mike, do you think this NHL hockey franchise that's coming to town in 2021, do you see any similarities what they're doing in their franchise launch, what the Sounders did? Uh, a little bit. You know, the fact that Todd Liewicki was involved in both. You know, Todd was a big part of the Sounders, uh, and Todd was involved with the Seahawks for a while. Todd, I, I've never seen a guy who's more uh, more adept at connecting teams to communities. And, I, you know, I saw where they did their first meeting the other night. They had like a dozen fans came into their offices, and they talked about how much should tickets be? What time should games start? Do you want a mascot? What do you think of nicknames? What You, you know... And they're going to do a bunch of these. That's how Todd runs an organization. He connects the organization to the team. So I think they will, whether they have the, whether they can match the Sounders, what the Sounders done on the pitch, if hockey can match that on ice, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think the sport and the franchise being ingrained into the community from day one, that's already happening. And that's because of Todd and the people he's put around. You know, I had Dave Tippett on my show last summer. What a great guy. Yeah, oh yeah. He's so down to earth. Maybe he has a little Coach Schmidt in him. Very down to earth. Yeah, explains yeah. hockey to people and not pretentious at all. So it seems like that style is kind of what they're doing right now in some yeah. ways. So, yeah, I, so. I, you want people like that. Look, look. Right. You know, people are like, oh, we want to stay in the cup. All right, all right. That's a century ago. Settle down. My, my point being... There's a lot of hockey people in this town, but there's a lot more who aren't hockey people. And the sport is going to have to do a job of educating the, 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 the casual fan. The, the, the crazies, and I mean that in a good way, are always coming to your games. Can you get the casual fans interested in coming? Are they going to be interested in watching on TV? Are they going to follow the sport? And the way you do that is by getting out in the community with guys like Dave Tippett and guys like Todd and connecting with people. Yeah, so far I, I seem to like what they're doing. Paul Scheimer, Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue A with Mike Gastineau. Mike, I have so many other questions I'd love to get you, but I want to talk about your new book, and I want the listeners to go to, is it polishprince.com? It's thepolishprince.com is the our Polish website, Prince. and it's got a video that explains the story. Uh, it's got uh, a synopsis of the story, and it's got a link to Amazon. You can just go to Amazon if you, if you need 10 copies of it right now and enter Mr. Townsend and the Polish Prince into the search engine. But uh, it's, a, it's a cool story, and I appreciate you talking about it. Absolutely. i got a copy right now. I read the book this week. I really enjoyed it. So just real quick for the listeners, a quick synopsis is a story of an uh, African-American athletic director, Nelson Townsend, who in 1981 at a historically black college, Delaware State University, hired a white football coach, Joe Perzicki. And the story has so many twists. It's, it's just a fascinating story. And real quick, Mike, how did you learn about this whole story? Well, and Joe was the first ever white head coach at a historically black college. He was at Delaware State for four years, did a remarkable job, got their program back on track, and, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. When he left there, he went to James Madison University. He, he, he was, wanted to go do other things. And I got to James Madison the year after he did as their radio broadcaster. That's right. So That's Joe right. and I knew each other for five years there. And we'd stayed in touch over the years. And he always had told me, he says, boy, you, 
the stuff that happened to me at Delaware State, you wouldn't believe it. It would make a great book. And, you know, all these years later, he reached out to me uh, a year ago at, uh, at Christmas. And his Christmas card, he said, would you be interested in, in maybe writing this story? And I was like, I mean, it, it was very similar to my Sounders book in that when the idea hit me, I, I was in hook, line, and sinker right away. Like, this is going to be a fun book to write. Uh, and it was. And it's, you know, it, we, one of the things that attracted me to it was, you, you know, Joe from the start said, I, I don't want to be portrayed as the great white hope because I wasn't. It wasn't about that at all. And as we started doing interviews and we started talking, I said, hey, the, the, this book is as much as about Nelson Townsend. This is about you. Nelson really stuck his neck out to make this hire, and, and he did it. He, he, and Nelson, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago, but I was able to get a real good picture of him from all the people who knew him. And, you, you know, he was not a trailblazer. He wasn't hiring Joe to prove some point. He hired Joe because he thought Joe was the best guy for the job, and here's why. Delaware State is in Dover, Delaware, and had been terrible at football for a long time, and they had gotten caught breaking some rules. It just The program was really, really at a low point. Uh, the University of Delaware is in, is in Newark, Delaware, about an hour north. Joe had been there as both a player and a coach. Nelson, and they're always good. They're a powerhouse. Nelson looks and says, you know, we're an hour apart. We're always bad. They're always good. Why don't we hire somebody from up there to show us what the secret sauce is and get this thing going? So he hired Joe, uh, and and that and 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 he told and people there were a lot of people that were upset about it because at the time people within the the, the black community were very upset about it, rightfully so, because at the time uh, there were only two outside of the historic black college network. There were only two African American head coaches in college football. Willie Jeffries was at Wichita State, and a young guy named Your Denny Green. That, right? Denny Green had just started at Northwestern. So people say to Nelson, how can you give away one of these precious jobs? You know, we're the only people that will hire a black head coach, and you're giving it away to this young white guy. How dare you? And I completely saw their point. I think Joe saw their point, but Joe from the start was like, look, I'm, I'm not here to do anything more than try and coach football. You know, one thing, Mike, I got the book, and that you have Nelson Townsend, Joe Persicki, different guys, different backgrounds, but there's three things they had in common. A basic sense of fairness, a basic sense of justice, and kindness as well. And so I thought that the, the what you put together in the book was a story of two men with different backgrounds coming together for the common good, and they both needed each other too. They definitely needed each other. Um, and you're right on target. What this book became, you know, again, it started out as, all right, this is Joe's story, first white coach ever at a historic black college. Let's see what happens. As Nelson became more and more involved, it became their story. It became about their friendship. It became about Nelson's mentorship of Joe. Joe was 33 at the time. He was a kid. He made a lot of young mistakes as a head coach. It wouldn't matter where he was. Just, you know, wouldn't talk to the media after one game. Got mad about things. You know, got a little paranoid from time to time. Nelson was there every time saying, settle down. Let's talk this out. Let's work it. And so it's about their mentorship. You never know where a mentor or a friend is going to come from in life. And these two were from different generations, kind of. They were closer in age than you might think. But they were certainly from different backgrounds. And yet they just, you're right, they had kindness and fair play and integrity and a common goal. They wanted Delaware State to be good. They didn't see any reason why Delaware State couldn't be good at football, and they, they wanted that. And, and they both were courageous in different ways. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Nelson was really courageous in hiring Joe. Right. And Joe was gutsy to take the job. 
You know, he was gutsy to take the job, to walk into that. And, you know, as I, I, I wrote in the book, and it's a really important distinction, Joe is one of the few white people who knows what it's like to be a minority. Now, he doesn't know what it's like to be African-American. And then the story of the bus crash, you find that out where it's like, no, it's, a whole, it's two different things. But Joe does know what it's like to walk into a room and feel a lot of eyes on him. And, hey, I'm different, and I've got to sell myself. I have to find a way to convince everybody. You know, Nelson's great line to him. When he says, hey, from now on, you're the minority. You're going to have to figure out how to make everybody see it. You, you, you know, it's not going to be easy. I mean, that part of it was really neat to me, and it's really a shoe-on-the-other-foot story. No, no doubt about it. Real quickly, Gas, and this might be, this is a leap, but I'm going to ask you the question. I, I, you know, in 1947, Branch Rickey, the Dodgers owner, mm-hmm. brought in Jackie Robinson, the first African-American player in baseball. Totally different situation. But right. can, you, can you compare Nelson Townsend to Branch Rickey in some ways? A little if I had thought he hired Joe to prove that point. I mean, Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson knew what they were doing. They knew they were walking into a hornet's nest. They knew the reaction was going to be tough. You know, Jackie was picked. You know, Branch picked him. He's like, this guy can handle it. He knows he's been in the Army. He knows what he's doing. Joe and Nelson were both a little naive. They thought people would be interested in this. They had no idea how angry people were going to get. And, and so from that standpoint, the fact that Nelson stuck with it when he had a lot of chances to go, Joe, we're going to let you go. This isn't working. And Joe almost got fired once. And, and, and he almost gets fired. Right. And, and he almost quits. And, you know, the fact that they stuck with it. But I, I don't know that there's that comparison other than the coincidence. I understand. I understand. It was a little bit of a leap of a, of a thought. But still, that's a fun thing about interviewing. You yeah. Can, can, yeah. Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Ray with Mike Gaston. We're, we're winding down. I think we only have a couple minutes left. But it's just a lot of fun to talk about your book. and. Get your thoughts on, on some of the issues. So I've got a thought for you, and I don't know if you've talked to Joe about this, but Joe left in 1904 to take the James Madison job. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, and nothing wrong with the James Madison job, but do you right. think maybe if Joe had stayed at Delaware State longer, a really mega D1 job could have come up? His point at the time was that it was going to be hard. That, that, you know, Jobs are generally, it's a stair step. It's a progression. And I think Joe thought, all right, I'm at Delaware State. I'm going to go to James Madison, which is a little bigger, a little bit more on a bigger stage, have some success there. Then I'm going to get a Division One job, you know, wherever. And and I don't think he thought he could make that big jump from Dell State to a major Division One job. I think he felt he had to go someplace else. The interesting thing is it didn't work out at James Madison. He got out of coaching. He got into to banking. He made a right. lot of money. He got his weekends back. <laughs> right. You know, so he's uh, he was a terrific coach. He was as, as fun a guy as I was ever around in sports. Uh, but I think he made the right decision for him and his family to, to do what he did. And uh, and he's a part of some tremendous history in that Delaware State. Absolutely. Story. I was just, yeah, just a thought. If he had stayed longer, what could have happened? Well, real quick, Mike, this is not a facetious question. This may be my last question. I could see this this book hitting the silver screen. And who would you want to have played Nelson Townsend? Who would you want to have played Joe Persicki? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll be happy if somebody just wants to make it into a movie. It, it's funny. It's such a big leap. But from the day we started this project, everyone we shared it with said, boy, this would be a great movie. So a lot of people think that. We I gotta, think so. we got to find somebody with, with money and, and power that thinks it's a great movie. And that is going to be our next thing. Right now we're concentrating on trying to sell books trying to get the story out there, uh, uh, trying to do media. But eventually our goal would be, excuse me, our goal would be to um, to get this thing into somebody's hands that might be able to make it a movie. Mike, thanks for so much for coming on Sports and Stuff. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Paul.